This episode of the Eclectic Gamers Podcast is brought to you by the Roanoke Pinball Museum in Roanoke, Virginia. Roanoke Pinball Museum is an interactive museum dedicated to the science and the history of pinball. Their mission is to cultivate curiosity in science, art, and history through pinball while preserving and honoring its role in American culture. The museum is open every day except Monday. It houses over 65 machines with models ranging from 1932 to 2018. Roanoke Pinball Museum. Don't forget about it. Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. This is episode 104. It is Sunday, December 15th, 2019, and I am Dennis. Unfortunately, Tony is sick today, and rather than have him fight through the nausea and try and record remotely with me, I am going to do this solo. He'd warned me yesterday, in fact, that the kids were sick, and he wasn't sure he was going to stay okay, so I'm taking it that he was starting to feel bad then. So don't worry. He didn't just take his campus queen and then decide to bail. He was still going to try and record this morning, and I was like, "Eh, there's no reason to subject yourself to that. But we want to stay on schedule. I am still healthy, so the show must go on. There is not a lot of new news for us to discuss, mainly because this is now the third week in a row that we have released an EGP episode. I do want to go ahead and get started with pinball. I don't really have any updates to talk about since the last week. I've just been working, so let's get right into it. The big news from is from Spooky Pinball, and that is regarding the Rick and Morty pinball machine that they announced that we covered last week. Since then, Spooky Pinball has released a photograph of the underside of the Rick and Morty playfield. So it looks like the pinball community has been going wild trying to analyze all of the parts and determine what those things are up above the playfield that these mechs below represent. And all in all, it's not necessarily that hard of a guess, though some of the stuff is a little more difficult to analyze than others. I do have a link in the show notes to a Pinside post, but I'm not linking to the one from Spooky. Instead, Matt from the Slap Save Pinball Podcast has one that he annotated being uh, with his attempt to identify what all these items represent above the playfield. I think it's a lot more helpful starting point. If you want to disagree with any of his assessments, you can easily do so. So I've got a direct link to that one because I found it far more helpful for the purposes of to talk about this topic on this podcast. What do we have going on? It looks like from Matt's analysis that we do have a couple of displays Uh, One near the flippers at the base of the playfield and then one closer towards the back of the playfield. This would be very similar to what was done with Total Nuclear Annihilation, which we know is Scott Denisi's first design game. He had a numeric display towards the back of the playfield that represented the critical state of the reactor. And he had another numeric display between the flippers that would tell you about the ball save. It could indicate if there was an extra ball. I don't know if these are those same exact displays or not, but there are displays in place, so it looks like at least a similar concept is going to be employed for Rick and Morty. Uh, Another major change-up that we were hearing about, at least I was hearing about as of the latest head-to-head pinball podcast, was that the lower playfield wasn't going to look traditional. Now, The issue that I've had is different people describe this in different ways. Here's what we see in the image. We see what appears to be a mech to control a slingshot for the right-hand side, 
And then for the left-hand side, it looks like there's a pop bumper instead. Okay, so that is pretty different. We don't see a lot of uh, dif differentiation anymore. Usually the standard approach for a lower play field is to do two identical slingshots that mirror each other. That said, this does not mean that this is not an Italian bottom game. We don't know the answer to that, or at least I don't know the answer to that yet. An Italian bottom, and I've, I've been thinking maybe I really should invest some time and actually write this up in a more coherent way. Different people, I suppose, will have different interpretations of what is meant by Italian bottom. So let me explain really quickly what I mean by it. An Italian bottom, and I'm going off of, I think it was uh, the designer Kamik who did it for Paragon and kind of spoke about it. And there's a write-up over at the Internet Pinball Database on Paragon if you'd like to read more. But it's really about the ability to trap up the ball that was seen as that Europeans, especially their Italian market at the time, was highly demanding in terms of wanting to be able to trap a ball easily so that they could take a break or, or talk or whatever. And because of that, there were design decisions made on Paragon to present that as a possibility. So the Italian bottom, the concept there isn't about the slingshots. It's not about identicalness. It's about the ability to capture the ball easily. And that idea manifests itself in terms of a ball guide. So there's some sort of lane guide. Uh, it can be wire form. It can be plastic. It doesn't matter what the material is. But the idea is there's something that the ball can easily be caught against that runs it to the flipper directly. So... Normally, the way we see this is, uh, and the way I interpret it is, if you have in lanes, you usually have an Italian bottom going on. So there's like there's a way for the ball to feed down, and then it's guided to the flipper. And the fact that there's the guide is what allows it to trap up. Versus a game like Space Station, where you have the slingshots abutting the flippers, so there's no there's no guide to lead the ball to the to the flipper, so it's much more difficult to capture the ball. So for, anyway, it's sort of a long story, but long story short of that is just because there's a pop bumper instead of a slingshot, at least in my assessment, does not mean this won't be an Italian bottom. If there's still an in-lane and it's still got a guide and it still feeds to a flipper, that's, uh, I'd have to see it, of course, but it sounds like it's still going to be an Italian bottom if that is the case. I think there were some people who were concerned when they looked at the flipper placement of the two standard flippers and saw that the mechs aren't aligned perfectly and thought, oh, this is going to have offset flippers. They, that, don't worry about where the coils are placed. That's not unusual to have to have the coils moved around to accommodate the spacing. It's a question of where the actual placement of those flippers is. And it sounds like for people who look more closely than I, that they do look aligned. So I think it would be very, very... Well, I would love to see a non-Italian layout from any pinball manufacturer. I don't think, I would not, and I don't think anyone, quite frankly, is really all that interested in seeing offset flippers ever again in pinball. So I don't I don't think they're willing to take that sort of chance. Let's see, what else is a Mr. Matt identified here? It looks like there may be a vertical up kicker uh, that goes from, there's sort of a portal, uh, and it's got a captive ball that, and I guess the portal gun is something from the show that a lot of people are familiar with. So that resides in the upper left of the playfield, but there does seem to be a vertical up kicker from there uh, in some capacity lower down, much closer to the uh, 
to the midpoint, lower midpoint, on still on the left side. Uh, there's like a subway that goes from that portal area down back to this spot. And so there appears to be a vertical up kicker to get the ball back. There are stand-up targets. I don't see anything identified that is thought to be drop targets. So there are stand-up targets in the upper right, and there are stand-up targets in the middle left. And there is, uh, looks like an orbit shot going on. There is another, there is at least a third flipper. Uh, looks like designed to do that portal shot. It's all the way up, sort of in the upper right portion of the playfield, uh, near the very back of it. Uh, looks like there might be another vertical up kicker sort of in the middle of the playfield in the very back as well. And I'm not quite sure. There's some other mechanisms that are uh, near that display. And uh, Matt couldn't identify what, what they are. Uh, but they might, I'm wondering if there may be something, you know, he had, uh, he being Scott Denise, he had a lot of play up in the upper section of total nuclear annihilation with, they weren't, you know, typical slings. They were just, they were kicking rubbers. I wonder maybe it's something like that. Maybe this, this thread's massive. I actually do not follow the Rick and Morty thread anymore because there's just, um, it's too, it's too productive. Uh, maybe may, productive is not the right word. There are too many people who post in it. So I only go back and check it when I see there's important news going on because most of the discussion are one line sentences of people uh, saying stuff. And I'd say 20% of it isn't really all that relevant either. So it just gets to be a chore to read. So that said, this does look like I'm seeing some, maybe we can start to say there are some Scott Denisi tropes that exist. Like if he's going to be the guy who has to have two displays in the play field, if that's going to be a thing for him, maybe we can start identifying that as a, as a hallmark or a trope of the designer. He did three flippers on total nuclear annihilation. So maybe he's a three flipper guy as well. Uh, looks like that we're going to revisit that. He had a single pop on total nuclear annihilation, and other than that pop in the lower portion of the playfield where you normally have a sling, I'm not sure that there's going to be any other pop bumpers. So maybe he's a one-pop person as well, and that's going to be a, a thing. I think the utilization of the pop bumper on TNA was excellent. It's brutal, which is something that has been missing from a lot of pop layouts lately, and for a long time, quite frankly. And uh, as I've commented on with like the Stern Star Wars, to me, if you're not going to take good use of pop bumpers, why even stick them in there? There are some games, especially from Stern, where I don't understand why they bothered with three pops. I guess Gary Stern supposedly mandates that all of his games have the uh, three pop bumpers put on them, but I just don't see the point. If they're not, if you're not going to get a lot of interplay with them, then are they really very useful? I expect we're going to see more and more news probably rapidly about Rick and Morty. There's a lot of assumptions that we're going to see this reveal before the new year. So, well, it's faster than a drip feed, but Spooky's really playing this up, which makes sense. They need to try and sell as many of these up front as they can. I think it's going to do very well for them. I continue to think so. There may be some people that have been slightly off-put by looking at the underside of the playfield, but I don't think many would be. I think it's going to really come down to, in terms of if there's going to be people that lose interest, it will be after they actually see the physical layout. Because, well, this gives us a great number of clues, especially on the mechanism side of things. I mean, there are a ton of color-changing RGBs. We knew that Scott Denisi loves color-changing RGBs, so that's not a surprise either. Not to mention that seems to be where a lot of the industry has been going anyway. Uh, Jersey Jack pinball and their color changing RGB setup has been well known for years now. I think that 
only a atypical layout might alienate some people. But again, they only need to sell 750, so it's not necessarily the uh, the deepest reach of all time. So let's see what else do we have nothing in pinball so we are moving on to video games there's really only one major thing of note that's happened since well we didn't talk about video games last week when nick shell with the roanoke pinball museum was on but we didn't really have any video game news to cover since then the the game awards 2019 has happened so what are the game awards well okay there there are an awards there are awards for the video game industry obviously hence the name this was formed a few years ago it's gotten a, it's got a lot of support but understand that it's not like a typical it's not like the oscars i think some people sort of think of it as the academy awards for video games and it may try and bill itself like that but really, the Game Awards, almost like a mini E3, where it's about the commercials, though. So think of it as like a cross between the Super Bowl and uh, the Academy Awards and E3. So you get new game announcements, a lot of trailers, and that's really why people are tuning into this. And in fact, the show revolves around that. A lot of world premieres, first time seeing things, they really emphasize it. And then... In between, there are a spattering of awards that are given out. Some awards are given out during the pre-show. That's how unimportant the awards are to the Game Awards. And then the major awards are done during the event. But even some of those that get to be in the quote-unquote prime time billing for the Game Awards are just read off and they don't even let the person come up to the stage. And others are actually done more like an Academy Award. People come up, they get a big trophy, they get to provide a speech, and so forth. So... I have a link to an article in Polygon, but I want to run through really quick some of the uh, the notable categories, some of the major categories. Best VR or AR, which is virtual reality or augmented reality game, was Beat Saber. The best strategy game winner was Fire Emblem Three Houses. The sports racing game winner was Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. The role-playing game winner was Disco Elysium. The ongoing game winner was Fortnite. The narrative winner was Disco Elysium. The multiplayer game winner was Apex Legends. The mobile game winner was Call of Duty Mobile. The independent game winner was Disco Elysium. The Games for Impact winner was Gris. The uh, game that won Best Game Direction was Death Stranding. A lot of people thought Death Stranding might end up cleaning up a lot here because the the showrunner is really good friends with the uh, for, with the designer of that game, but that actually did not, as you're hearing, did not really turn out turn out this way. This was the biggest award that Death Stranding won, in my view. The fresh indie game winner was Disco Elysium. That was the game, obviously, that was really cleaning up. Fighting game winner was Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Family game winner was Luigi's Mansion Three. The community support winner was Destiny 2. Audio design winner was Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Art direction winner was Control. Action adventure game winner was Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Action game winner was Devil May Cry 5. Game of the year winner was Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which a lot of people, I've not played it, a lot of people felt that it was very deserving. I believe this is from from software, so it's got a big... uh, Dark Souls vibe. Uh, Dark Souls, which is a game I love the aesthetic of and hate it as a game. Maybe I should play one of these newer ones to see if they resolve some of the bugginess that really 
Some of it was bugginess and some of it was the design on how they achieved their hardness that I did not like. I did win it. I had to in order to not be shamed and be able to make all these arguments and, and sound like at least I was good enough to know what I was talking about. All right, so those were the game winners. Now I'd like to turn to talking about some of the announcements. And it's like, okay, well, what are the biggest announcements? Some are really clear, some are not. I do have a link in the show notes to an article from The Verge where they provide their top 12 announcements. So I'm going to use that as a guide. But So here are some of the things. A lot of these are games, and then we're going to end with some with, a, with the hardware announcement, which was, I, I think, in everyone's view, the big, the big announcement of the event. So Fast and the Furious, they are going to get a, a heist game. So it's not a racer, but it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be some sort of a heist game. They did have uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Vin Diesel come out on stage to do one of the game reveals and, or excuse me, do one of the award announcements. And so I'm guessing that they have at least some of that cast uh, from the films to actually do voicing or something for this title. So there is that. Uh, here's one I was excited about, uh, The Wolf Among Us. This was a telltale game. I really liked it quite a bit. It's sort of a explores the what's called the Fables comic book series, which is almost an an adult take on classic classic fairy tales. And it was The Wolf Among Us was a murder mystery. And so I didn't know wh- whether or not there were I guess there was another one in the works. I I don't remember well enough about what all Telltale was doing, but it looks like at least this one of those canceled projects is back. Uh, I, because the first one was so fun, I'm I'm really hopeful that they do a really good job. Uh, and so if you kind of like the point-and-click adventure style, or it's not it's a little more in-depth than a virtual novel, uh, or visual novel, excuse me, but but not by a lot. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's see. Uh, Gears Tactics. We finally got a first look at that. We heard about that uh, two E3s ago. And so it looks like it's going to be thematically, as you would expect, quite tied to the Gears universe. It, I think this is going to be, it'll be compared to XCOM. Is it as good as XCOM? I think that's really the question that people are going to be asking themselves about it. Uh, let's see. Other big announcements. Ah, the uh, Ghost of Tsushima, we finally got to see. That's a PS4 exclusive, I believe. But we got four minutes of uh, gameplay in a new trailer. So it also appears to be coming out in the summer. So that was nice to finally have at least a vague sense of a release date on it. I remember when I saw this at an E3, uh, the trailer, and I thought it looked really, really good. So I think it's going to do quite well for Sony. Let's see. Oh, PUBG, uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. The studio that is releasing that has something else in the works, and it's not PUBG. So they call it Prologue, and I don't really know a whole lot about what it's going to be other than it looks quite a bit different than PUBG looks. So we'll have to stay tuned on that. We did see an announcement for Godfall, which I believe is the first confirmed PlayStation 5 game. So the, or at least it's the first one I recall seeing a trailer for. So it's a third person fantasy looter slasher, and it's got a focus on melee combat. Uh, graphics looked stunning, as you would expect from the, the PlayStation 4 or 5. So that uh, and it's coming out through Gearbox, which is Gearbox is known for looter shooters or what we used to call dungeon crawlers, and that's their Borderlands series. But this does not have that cell shaded look. So this is much sharper than that is. Bravely Default Two that was announced as coming out next year, and so a lot of people, Square Enix, 
I guess I'm not familiar with Bravely Default, but they did a lot of com- when the trailer was going. There was a lot of comparison in relation to Octopath Traveler, which did very well on the Switch. So this is sort of a Final Fantasy style RPG. So if you liked the first one or you liked Octopath, you might like Bravely Default too. Or if you like RPGs, you may want to go ahead and check it out because the world never has enough RPGs apparently. Uh, Hellblade. We learned that that will be getting a sequel on the new Xbox. And that is, uh, that's from Ninja Theory. Uh, for those that don't recall, Microsoft acquired Ninja Theory uh, in the past year or 18 months or so as part of their massive buy-up of studios to expand their first-party offerings. So the, this is, it, you know, it's very dark. The trailer was incredibly creepy. I have not played Hellblade. I know it had a lot of fans. A lot of people were really excited when Microsoft announced Ninja Theory in that slate, in that batch of studios. It was, it's, got, it's got some serious cachet. So a lot of people, I think, are pretty excited about it. And this looked really sharp because it is on the new Xbox, which that was the big, that was the big announcement. And it was very early in the Game Awards show. The Xbox Series X is what they're calling it. And we saw the console. It's It was presented, and I was very concerned at first. In fact, a few of us, including Tony, were messaging each other and were like, where are we supposed to put this? Because they show it vertical. And it was like, okay, I don't know if that's going to fit on my shelf anywhere. It is. It has been confirmed. You can uh, use it horizontally. You don't have to stand it upright. But that's how they presented it. There's a newly designed controller. Look very familiar to anyone who's seen the Xbox One controllers or the Xbox 360 controllers, though. I do see there is a new button on the front. I believe that's their new share button that they've decided to go with because apparently that's becoming very popular. And I guess even using the guide button was taking too many steps for people. And so it's called the Xbox Series X. And since they're calling it a series, we've been hearing reports that there will be two SKUs. Uh, So the thought is there will be two different models. Uh, Rumor mill is that there will be a lower powered model that won't have a disk drive, won't have the Blu-ray player, and won't be 4K. Uh, I think the rumors I've been hearing is that it might be like 2K capable or so. Basically a model designed for people that plan to just digitally download and don't have 4K TVs and just want something more, able to play everything and that's coming out for Series X and be obviously at a lower price point. We don't know the price points yet. We do know that this will be coming out for the holiday season. That was already essentially known, but it's the first one we got to take a look at. We haven't seen any official reveal imagery, to my knowledge, for Sony's PlayStation 5 yet. So Xbox, uh, through Microsoft, is clearly trying to get out in front about getting all of their getting the hype built so they can try and get these sold because Xbox has dr- drastically lagged for a variety of reasons behind PlayStation during this generation, almost entirely due to errors made on Microsoft's part. But with uh, Phil Spencer running the Xbox division now, there's been a major focus on gaming rather than trying to be the be-all, end-all, do-everything-in-your-living-room console that Xbox One was initially presented as. And so I think they're going to try and make it at least more competitive. There's no reason why, I don't want to say gamers are fickle, but by and large, gamers are willing to try, go with any console in any given generation and reset themselves. They're not, there's always core sets, but they're not wholly picky about these sort of things. And I say that because Xbox 360 was ahead of 
PlayStation 3 in a number of markets, including the US and I believe the UK. But that all changed because of the blunders they made on the Xbox One. There's no reason they can't change it back. And that's part of why there's been all these studio acquisitions. Is That's how Phil Spencer thinks you change, you change this dynamic. Plus, their approach is different than it used to be, where it was a, an exclusive versus exclusive console versus console approach, where, and Tony often talks about this, Microsoft is putting out all of their first-party stuff that they develop in their studios out on the PC as well, because... From their perspective, because they control Windows, they don't really care if you're playing on a PC or you're playing on a console. They just want you to play on a Microsoft product. So there's no reason to keep it isolated to console. And if that costs them console sales, ultimately it doesn't cost them as a company because they'd still like people to buy PCs too. So anyway, that's all the the, uh, major announcements, in my opinion, from the Game Awards of 2019. And that really wraps up this episode. I'm sorry there was no fun humor. There's no one for me to play off of. There's just me talking into this microphone. So I think it's time for me to go ahead and call it and say we will be back. Hopefully Tony will be healthy by then and hopefully I will not be sick. We'll actually be back in two weeks like we normally would be, but we needed to maintain the current pacing schedule. We might finally have some finalized news about Rick and Morty by then. Who knows? Uh, There are a few other rumors and such floating around in pinball, but I don't really see the point in touching on them because I haven't seen solid confirmation or anything that would make me think that there's enough meat on that bone to really pick at right now. So I'd rather not do it. But uh, until two weeks, I'm Dennis. Have a great weekend.